Our text this morning is the uh, gospel reading in Luke 4. Um, I usually only just come back with one or verse or two, but uh, here I get, looks like maybe three. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 23. He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three in three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. This is our text. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think it is evident, uh, I think you would all agree also, that if you work, uh, especially when someone agreed to pay you, then you should get paid what you earned. I mean, that's only fair. Uh, it uh, turns out in this country, at least, that it's also the law, uh, and it's reasonable. And I think, um, well, I, I can't imagine any sensible person working for a wage and then, then end up working for free, it doesn't work out real good. But uh, I suppose it happens because people do things they're not supposed to do sometimes. Uh, now, the reason I'm saying that is because these folks in Nazareth, um, they're ex they have an expectation of, of getting what they deserve. Uh, they know very well uh, Jesus. They, he, they, he's been with them for almost his entire life. Uh, maybe when he was very small, he, uh, he wasn't there, but for the most part, he's been there with his parents. They've heard he's been doing miracles, though, because uh, he has started his ministry, and he's been wandering around a little bit around the, the region of Galilee, and he's been doing miracles and acts of power and healing. Uh, he's done this in other towns, and they expect that he'd want to do that also in Nazareth since they're his people, they're his friends and family, and uh, uh, they would expect that he would probably want to do it there more. Um, unfortunately, uh, there are some problems. He implies first in his preaching that he is the Messiah, he's the Christ. Uh, and you can run into all kinds of problems with that in your own uh, familiar circumstances because, uh, well, they know him. They know Joseph and Mary, and they, they know that he's a carpenter. Then they hung around in Nazareth and did some stuff, and he's been there a long time. And so they're a little skeptical that a guy that they know that well could possibly be the Messiah that they've been waiting for for such a long time. And they had trouble with him. And uh, then he says that God didn't do miracles there in the past because, well, and he, he mentions a couple. There's a widow in Zarephath who is starving with her son. And there's this other guy who is Naaman. Uh, Naaman is a, a Syrian general who was an oppressor and kind of a nasty man and a leper. And, and those people were taken care of. But if you heard me at all, you'll know that someone from Zarephath and Sidon is not from uh, Israel at all, and, and uh, a, a Syrian 
named Naaman, who is a, an enemy general, is not from Israel either. And yet those are the two that God picked. <laughs> uh, and so they, they took that to mean that they're probably not going to get what they thought they should get. Uh, they're, and they're not good for it, according to his, uh, to, to this so-called prophet Messiah that they know very well. And so they're mad at him. Um, in the end, they try to throw him off a cliff. I mean, you got to be kind of irritated to do that to somebody. And, and, uh, and they're really mad at him, mad enough to murder him. Um, so if you uh, think about that just a little bit. Uh, they probably wouldn't have tried to throw him off a cliff if they weren't like that <laughs> a little bit anyway. Because uh, has anybody ever tried to throw any of you off a cliff? I mean, there are some of them I could imagine, but I'll, I'll just let that pass though, because I, I know you folks, and I don't I don't think that's good. But okay, uh, but people are always the same. So what did they earn by their behavior? Uh, as they uh, were with him. Did they, did they earn some helpful miracles because they deserved them so much? Or did they earn uh, something more like hellfire? You can kind of answer that easy enough because this is the way people are. And here we sit. We are Christians, children of God. Um, I suppose uh, you've heard stories one time or another about uh, visits from angels that save people. Uh, you've heard of the occasional miraculous healing. I've seen those things myself and even uh, casting out of demons. I've seen that too. And, and I would imagine you've heard things like that one time or another and other things. Uh, acts of power, as you might suppose, like the Bible says. Um, I've spoken to missionaries, maybe you have as well, where they come back from the, the, the front lines of where Christianity doesn't exist very much, and they come back with stories of uh, big crowds coming to faith and uh, even people being raised from the dead and other miraculous things. Uh, did you ever find yourself asking when you're in a bad situation why God doesn't do stuff like that for you? I mean, sometimes we just need help. Sometimes it's very serious and profoundly scary things that we need help from. Uh, and certainly God can do such things because he has. Uh, and like I said, you've heard of such things yourself. Why wouldn't he do that for his own chosen children? For believers, for Christians. I, I suppose in the end, we're kind of like the people in Nazareth. Uh, uh, not, not so much murderous, but uh, we sin a lot all over the place. And it's not like we don't know better, but we do it anyway. Uh, we, we sometimes it's on purpose and sometimes it's by accident or in ignorance. Uh, but they, those sins, they happen and you're well aware of them. So maybe it would be better uh, if, if, well... What, what, what are you supposed to get paid for? If you're, if you're supposed to get paid for what you, according to what you do, according to what you earn, um, what do you deserve? Uh, ultimately, are you really uh, worth the miraculous stuff? Or, or are you more worthy of hellfire? 
And in this way, we're not very different from people in Nazareth. Uh, yes, it's really only sinfulness that uh, thinks there could be worthiness in any kind of way at all of the things that God can do for the sake of goodness and generosity, which is his nature. Uh, Christians more than anyone uh, should know better than to think that we're worthy in any kind of way because we know who we are and what we do. On the other hand, and this might have uh, escaped your notice, but uh, Christ was there in Nazareth. Uh, he was born to them. He was there most of his life, as I said already. He, uh, they tried to murder him, uh, and he did die, but he didn't die because they threw him off a cliff. He, he died because it was his intention to go to a cross and die for them. They, they tried to murder him, and he died for them. It's kind of a surprise, wouldn't you say? His examples uh, of the Gentile woman and the leprous enemy general who actually received God's mercy that show positively that worthiness is both impossible and irrelevant to what God does. It's, it's not on his mind because if, if only worthiness was good enough to get his attention, then we'd all be sunk. The two people that he mentions here that he did take care of were not worthy. They weren't even close. They were sinners and they were outcasts and they had nothing to do with the chosen people of God at the time. So apparently their worthiness wasn't the point. Certainly Jesus is saying that. Your God-given faith, such as it is, as you sit here, knows Jesus died to forgive you. It's the reason why you're here. If you're really forgiven, really living in, in God's mercy that is earned not by you, but in Christ's blood, if that's all true, you have to be unworthy. I got to lead you through that a little bit, I suppose, because it's not obvious, I suppose. But think about it like this. Mercy always and only falls on the unworthy. Because the whole nature of mercy, the definition of mercy is you did something terrible and, and the only way out is mercy or else you'll be destroyed or punished or whatever. And that's not happening to you, even though you know you have sinned and you have mercy. Forgiveness is always and only for a sinner. So you don't need forgiveness if you didn't do anything wrong. So, so knowing that you have forgiveness makes it obvious that you're not worthy. And yet you are in God's mercy. There's really no point in pride or some expectation that you deserve it because that's just silly. You are, though, forgiven by God in Christ. You are his child. You are his. Forgiven completely for every sin. All of the ones that you have committed already, all the ones that you still don't know about yet, but you'll get around to. He knows about all of those already. And knowing all of that about you, he came and he died to forgive you. 
It doesn't matter whether you knew you did it or not. It doesn't matter uh, whether it was intentional or not. It, it doesn't matter whether you did it already or didn't do it yet. He came to die to forgive you. And so it has been accomplished. Despite unworthiness, despite sin. Well, in fact, only because of that and only because he loves you beyond comprehension, you have his mercy. Christ has done that for you. And he promises in that same mercy that you will live with him. And I don't mean here only. I mean for eternity because he is making you holy. He has declared you holy. He has died to make you holy. And he has risen from the dead to make you also eternal. Despite being entirely and completely unworthy. If you heard um, what Jesus read in Isaiah's scroll, you might recognize he talks about uh, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, that's, I guess, code <laughs> for uh, the year of Jubilee. Uh, this happens in Israel. It's uh, part of what Moses instituted. Uh, the year of Jubilee um, is, is terribly important in Israel because everyone who is one of the children chosen by God in Israel has all of their debts forgiven in that year. All of them gone. Whatever debts there are, gone. Uh, if you have had to sell off some of your uh, uh, proper inheritance that has been set in place by the rules of Moses as well, um, all of that property has to be restored to you according to your heritage. That's Jubilee. Also, this is kind of an endless list. Uh, if, if you had to, to go into slavery because you had nothing, you, had, you were messing up everything so bad that you had to sell yourself into slavery to pay your debts, which happens sometimes, then you would be released, free, given your inheritance back, all of your debts forgiven. That's Jubilee. That's the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Christ came to do. Except it's not just a year, it's forever. You folks are the children of God. All your debts of sin have been forgiven in Christ's blood. All of your heritage, which is the, the, the whole of the heavens and the earth that's been promised to you is yours. And your bondage to sin and death has been taken away. All of this Christ has done for you. That's his love for you. That's his profound, uh, disturbing even sacrifice for you it's because you are loved, because you are his, and because he wants you with him, not only for now, but forever. This is his promise to you. This is your hope. And this is the grace of God. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.